this program to bring you a special report. Welcome to South of the Eight. When I was younger, my family never really got cable. It was just unnecessary at the time, and honestly, I completely understand. I wouldn't pay for cable now. I barely even pay for Netflix. Uh, to say I don't, I borrow someone's password. I think I've paid for Hulu once, and it was only because I forgot to cancel the free membership. <laughs> But anyway, I Canal Cinco, Twenty One, Telemundo, Univision. Uh, those are those were my things, you know. Those were my channels, and again, it wasn't because I chose them. It was just because that's all we had, and it, entertainment was key. Television was key. I mean, television was such a big part of our family gatherings. You know, we sat down after dinner and watched TV for a couple hours right before I had to go do homework or my parents had to work on the house or whatever it was. And a staple of that, always, oh, no matter what house we went to, especially if you went to. A grandma's house, or you went to an older aunt's house, or uncle's house, was Walter Mercado. The moment it came on, there was a silence to the room. The amount of respect there was—well, not just respect, but the anxiety of needing to know what he was going to say about you and those around you, making sure that the decision you took was—you know—it it all seemed pretty interesting to me. I mean, that and religion and all things like it. Have always fascinated me, you know. I'd never always believed in it or been on par with all the theology of it, but I do respect what it does for people, you know, whether it's hope or giving them an opportunity to change or look at things differently. I believe that there is benefits, you know, to organized religion or any kind of belief system for that matter. But anyway, I had to check out the Mucho Mucho Amor documentary, and if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Even if you don't believe in astrology, or have the faintest of memory of Walter Mercado, it is kind of a beautiful analysis of our culture, you know, or at least through TV, because it does. There is a part of us, at least in our culture, that has very big idols, in whatever it may be: Frida Kahlo, Selena, uh, El Santo, right, Blue Demon. Uh, I mean, musicians, uh, Juan Gabriel, Juan Sebastian. I mean, we have so many idols, so many people that mean so much to us, and I love that we embrace that. And Walter Mercado has definitely have to be one of them. And they sort of analyze that to an extent that it's rather interesting. And the way it ties into today's episode is that, at least back then, there wasn't a lot of options for information you know for immigrants or spanish speakers in the u.s if you were lucky enough to live close enough to the border you know you had some reach from mexico in your native language talking about your hometown hopefully or things going on in your country but a lot of times if the deeper you went into the u.s just those weren't accessible so what did you watch you know the one thing that was accessible telemundo univision and I, I mean, not to say I don't have good memories from those uh, channels, but, I mean, it was all gossip, right? El Gordo La Flaca, Primer Impacto. I mean, it was sensational things. And I do believe there was some kind of, it was kind of detrimental to an extent. I hate to put it that way. I hate to take such a right turn on this, but that's kind of the theme of today's episode. Um, the sources of our information are so important. You know, we have to stay on top of what is sensational and what is truth, especially when our parents, you know, may rely on things that are a little far fetched, whether it be WhatsApp or Facebook or whatever it may be. And I don't blame them. You know, technology. We grew up with technology. A lot of us grew up with technology. But for them, it's relatively new. Some even don't even like to embrace it. So with that, uh, there is a lot of things that we have to show them. Not in a condescending way, but in a way that it helps expand their ideas and expand their detective work because that's what it is, you know, having to search and find out what's really true. And with as much information as we have and how blessed we are with all the outlets that we have, it just creates room for ill information and we have to do our best to find out what it is. I mean, some of us will hear something like 5G is going to kill us. And we think, wow, that's ridiculous. But you have to kind of stop and think, why do these people think that? 
you know? What is it that's feeding the conspiracy theory? Maybe with that, we should stop and consider that some people's sources are a little flawed. And with that, maybe even some of ours. But to hear more on the subject, I'll just let you listen to the interview. Today, I have Mari Cortez, a local writer, photographer, and today's guest. Honestly, these conversations have been amazing. I'm so lucky that I've been able to expand my knowledge on certain topics, but also share my opinions. Uh, and they are just opinions. I will say that. So with that, I hope you enjoy the episode and hit me up. Uh, are you guys liking the episodes? Are you not liking the episodes? Is there anything I need to change? Let me know. All right. Here's the episode. Mario, thank you so much for doing this. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me? Yeah, so uh, my name is Mario Arturo Cortez. I am a local freelance writer here in San Diego. Um, I am currently contributing to a San Diego's Eater page at Remezcla, Daily Chela, and uh, other publications. Um, I also do client work. You know, like if someone's building their website, they're, um, you know, like for personal trainers, for your brand, you know, I'm doing this branded content as well. Um, and I also take photos and I don't know, like I just, you, you kind of have to grind along right now. Um, yeah. there's, no, there's no budget. Yeah. There's no budget at publications for freelancing. So you got to make it work. Jack of all trades almost. <laughs> That's great, man. So what got you into, uh, what got you into writing? So it's kind of a funny story because I went to school at Humboldt state and, uh, I, majored in English. Uh, I'm an English major, right? Like uh, literary studies, uh, cultural criticism, and a lot, of, a lot of this stuff. And uh, one of my friends who was copy editor of the school paper, you know, she found out that one of my professors was assigning uh, copy edit the newspaper as an assignment just to kind of get everyone kind of like, you know, fine-tuned on their grammar because, you know, you kind of slack off on that. Yeah. You know, when the course load is so rhetoric heavy, and so heavy on theory, you just kind of say, all right, well, I got to express the idea. And, you know, some people kind of did slack along. So she gave us this assignment and my friend got mad. And she's like, well, if you think it's so easy, why don't you come copy edit the paper? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, um, well, I mean, she didn't say it in a confrontational way. She, right. she was kind of like more inviting. Uh, she didn't think it was funny, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I started out with that. And when, when I came back to San Diego, um, I graduated in 2015. So when I got back to San Diego, um, I had to, you know, like get to work and, um, you know, I turned in you know, applications like everywhere. And uh, I came back in August and in uh, December of that year, I started contributing to uh, La Prensa, which is a bilingual newspaper here in San Diego. Well, was, they're no longer in print. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, it went from just kind of like covering this thing to, hey, can you copy edit this stuff? To, hey, you know, do you know how to upload stuff? You know, the, the, the guy in charge of this isn't doing it. Right. And it kind of like snowballed into like me joining them full time. Um, and, you know, I was there for a couple of years and uh, now I'm not because yeah. they're out of business. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue, I guess, to something I wanted to ask. I mean, writing, although great, I love reading and I feel like it's still pretty prevalent. It is more and more becoming a little bit obsolete, not just in the print form, but just reading in general. I feel like a lot of people's attentions are mostly to towards whether it be audio, because even that's a little slow at the moment, but right. video, right? What is it about writing that keeps you, keeps you there or makes you think that it's worth doing, I think? That's a good question. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't um, mean to stump you, but... Normally, I mean, normally I think of writing as, you know, it's, it's direct. It's direct. It's just you and the words. Um, I mean, just like with all forms of communication, there is room for, there is room for like, you know, misunderstanding. But the thing with writing is that like you refine it and you edit it and you just kind of make it so exact to where, you know, it's as foolproof as possible. You know, like a good story, or at least what I consider to be a good story, you know, it's informative, it's easy to read and follow along you can tackle some very dense subjects and just kind of like make them like really easy to break down and i mean you can do that with audio you can do that through you know video 
but really when it's just you and the words, you really have to make it work. And um, when I was copy editing for La Prensa, I made it a point to make um, like Spanish, Spanish stories read easier um, just so that so they could be more accessible because our older, I mean, our Spanish base was generally older, no single language. And um, right. some of these uh, right, freelance writers that we were picking up from Mexico, they were using more prestige language. Right. And, you know, like a lot of the times, like older people do kind of have that prestige language due to the, the way in which they were brought up. You know, the education systems in Mexico that value more formal speech over plainer speech. Right. I mean, they're both valid, but ultimately, like they were using a lot of jargon. They were using just things that like, like my, my, my dad would ask me about, like, what does this mean? Right. Even though he's a fluent Spanish speaker. Yeah, I feel like that's um, that makes a lot of sense, especially when you have such a high immigration population when it comes to yeah. people, Spanish speakers. A lot of times education will go as far as high school or even lower than that. So I feel like it's great that you're you're trying to make it accessible to as many people as possible because people will say like, well, it's in Spanish. I'm like, yeah, but there's so many different types of Spanish. And then like, yeah. and are you, you know, like also slang is a big part of it. Um, Mexico is huge. And I feel like people don't realize that the rhetoric between states can change so much, you know? So I think it's, I think it's great. Um, I was reading some of your, I was reading some of your articles and I, I love the fact that it's, it's those like, um, how could I say it? It's those small stories that, that, that are interesting. You know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're tackling pretty great things, whether, whether uh, it be where Carnassal Fries are really from or the female led beer programs. I think they're great. I feel like it's great that people are up to date with what's going on in the community and, that's part of why I started the podcast in the beginning. But with that, why is it important, you think, to tell the small stories? Why is it important to give a voice to what's going on around us? And this kind of stems from my experiences at La Prensa. Um, I saw that a lot of the Spanish publications, not just publications, but broadcast media, they focus on national issues. You know, um, you know like, and immigration is very important to us both because we value our family members because we have empathy for those who you know like might be experiencing economic hardship um you know down you know in our countries of origin but i noticed that um everything was immigration and, and taxes and you know then you know we had like the, the celebrity chisme and that's kind of <laughs> like all only young covers it's all we it's, love our chisme <laughs> It's the immigration news of the day, the economic news of the day, and then the celebrity chisme of the day. And it's like, like there's so many more things that like impact people. You know, public transportation impacts people, education impacts people, and those are um, you know day-to-day -day things. And then once you kind of get deeper into like the neighborhoods, you know, like putting up a stop sign in like in this place where kids are playing, like that's a that's a big deal, right. because I mean, like that's what they're um, that's what like all the tax dollars are going to you know like they're actually serving the community you know like tax dollars you know like they're spent in like the wealthier communities but you know when the when there's a stop sign going into barrio logan yeah it's a big and deal. kids play on that street and like now, now there's like a lower risk of like their kids getting hit and that's great like show people what's happening in their own backyards you have to show people that you know it's not just you know like latinos latino issues and neighborhood issues no, they, they go hand in hand, but it goes so much deeper than like what they show you on Univision and Telemundo. Um, there's, I mean, like there's economic impact stories that like are very hyper local. There's immigration cases that are extremely hyper local. And then, you know, once you get into like, you know, the neighborhood characters and like, you know, after school programs um, and just kind of like stories that really show you what the people are like, you know, like I got to, like I got to write about some of the characters of Bar Barrio Logan, you know, like the, the Panadero from Panchitas. Yeah. Uh, there's this guy that I used to hang out at Chicano Park. They called him El Abuelo. I forget if it's El Abuelo or El Tio. Um, he used to kick it there and, you know, like I got to talk to him, me and my friend Andy, uh, who did artwork for La Prensa. You know, we were hanging out at the park and we were like, hey, he looks interesting. Let's go talk to him. <laughs> and then we got to see what he was about. Um, we got to profile um, some interesting people from the neighborhood, you know, Azteca dancers, uh, musicians, uh, interesting people from Chula Vista. You know, Chula Vista was overlooked by the city at large. Yeah, Chula Vista, San Isidro, 
um, you know, like a lot, a lot of like the places where like Raza lives, you know, like they're overlooked. And, you know, even within the city, you know, like, you know, news is generally centralized in the city of San Diego. And even then, you know, it's a lot of the Latino media focuses it, you know, with through the lens of like city hall and some of these more official institutions. Right. I think you hit it right on the spot. I feel like you're right. When I see my parents see local news or just Latino news, it's always the bigger picture. And not to say that that isn't important, but I feel like people have to focus on their communities, not just because it's good to know what's around, but also because we need to stay informed. I mean, gentrification is a, such a big problem, especially in places uh, south, uh, uh, south of the 8th, where just because it starts looking a little quirky, people want to start buying into it and displacing families. A lot of times people will be like, well, I didn't even know that was happening. And it's like, well, that's why we have to stay informed, not just with bigger picture things, but with our community. Because I'm sure journalists are are talking about it. You know, this isn't gentrification isn't anything new. It's just that people aren't in sort of informing themselves of what's going on in their backyard, pretty much. And it's sad right. because you'll see someone, you'll see a bunch of um, buildings come up and someone will say, wait, whoa, whoa, when did that happen? And it's like, this has been happening and yeah. people have been talking about it. It's just that no one's really paying attention, unfortunately. And of course, the gentrification benefits from it because as long as no one cares, you know, stuff will go up. So I think I, I think you're completely right. People need to stay informed. And even if it's about the smaller stories, whether it be about the panaderos or uh, about local characters from the city, uh, sometimes it's also nice to see victories happen in our in our backyard. And a lot of that has to do with what uh, form of entertainment we choose to follow. Because, yeah, Univision is, aren't they from, like, the East Coast? Like, most of the time, it's either up in L.A. or down on the East Coast. And a lot of the stuff just doesn't really pertain to us. And I feel like, which yeah. is why I admire your, your, your articles or just the entire prensa at large. Just because it's, it's still trying, it's holding on. And it's like, yeah, we, we got this. We can do this. But, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so, other than that, uh, with everything going on, there's been, a, I mean, I'm not trying to get political or anything like that. <laughs> this is just a general question. But with everything going on, I feel like misinformation is super prevalent. And a lot of times people are losing more and more their faith on mainstream media. They think that it's a bunch of jargon or to say in famous words, fake news, right? So why is it that despite all of that, we shouldn't be going down those YouTube rabbit holes? Like why, why is it so important to look for reliable sources as opposed to just whatever seems the most interesting? starting with YouTube and social media. And this has been like a, a problem that's been recorded and written about so much. There's no vetting of what's real and what's not, you know, like these social media companies are you know, for-profit companies. Uh, they're advertiser driven, um, you know, like the more content you pump in, the more valuable they become right. to anyone looking to advertise on these platforms. Um, so, you know, like uh, veracity is not, not uh, like making is not their their uh, it's not their priority you know like having lots of content and lots of users on their base is their priority so I mean there's no effort to vet anything um, you know rarely ever will like will stuff be um, flagged as you know false or misleading um, and uh, you know it took three almost four years for Twitter to finally start flagging Donald Trump on Twitter. Yeah. He, when he made that really racist remark, um, uh, when the looting, what, what was it? When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Yeah. When the writing starts, the shooting starts or something. like yeah, that. Yeah. Some, some, some like that. So when he tweeted that, you know, Twitter finally said, all right, you know, this is glorification of violence. We're gonna, we're gonna, so they didn't censor it outright. And it's not even censorship. It's, you know, it's marking the tweet with right. a notice saying, hey, you know, this violates uh, Twitter's um, policy and glorification of violence. Mm -hmm. And then it had links to articles, you know, about, you know, just kind of like about the, the quote and kind of like fact checking. So, you know, like it, like they're, they're not reliable. You know, it took them three years to do that to one of their biggest sources of misinformation. And, you know, Facebook didn't take any, any action, if I recall. Yeah, they just um, don't have it. Yeah. So kind of going back to your question, um, like I'm a big proponent of just reading the same, reading the same angle or topic, you know, through several outlets. Yeah. Um, like I'll be reading like 
like the way like the LA Times wrote about I don't know what's in the news right now. <laughs> the, doc, the DACA decision. Yeah, I was gonna say what isn't on the news right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's use the DACA decision uh, by the Supreme Court as an example. Yeah. So you know, like I'll read an article from the LA Times, and if I have the in effect, and if it comes up again, um, you know, if like Jornada or Proceso in Mexico writes about it, I'll see their perspective. And I don't know, like if I see again from, you know, another English speaking outlet you know, whether they're national or um, international, just to see how, how they wrote about it and just kind of see what they choose to focus on. And in the end, like the greater details are shared in these stories. Yeah. So, you know, just getting multiple perspectives. Um, I think that's kind of like how you start building your base of, you know, where to go, you know, consume uh, uh, news. And um, after that, you, you'll kind of start gravitating towards some more reputable like outlets i mean and this is just kind of like the way i do it you know like for me like my go-to is the la times and the union tribune right yeah i mean they're owned by the same guy so and they share a lot of the content so yeah like no but i understand i feel like having multiple sources is definitely interesting that's not to say that youtube facebook and twitter can't be reliable sources of information it's just that sticking to one of them it, it seems to be a problem and especially i hate to say especially in our communities when facebook is so new and whatsapp is so prevalent you start hearing these things or it's like miko did you hear about this and it's like okay <laughs> like let's break this down right like where yeah. is it coming from like who is this doctor that's saying these things right so then you just have to go down like uh, down the path and try to figure out not just for them but for you try to figure out why why is this being even spread but then sometimes a lot of times even when people and it happens on twitter all the time even when people retract information uh, instead of de- straight up just deleting their post, the the one that had the false information spreads faster because it's more yeah. interesting. And that is so <laughs> disheartening because a lot of people will see that, like it, retweet it, move on with their day and never think about, it's not that they won't think about it again, but now they're sharing that as li- reliable information or quote unquote reliable information. And now you're thinking, fuck, like, how do you even stop? It's like a cheese man. Man, how do you even stop it once it's already out there? And yeah. And it can be pretty, it can be, it can be dangerous because that's really what it is. It's just dangerous because, I mean, misinformation can lead to, uh, to a bunch of things, right? I mean, uh, that's one of the big issues we have right now with, say, the pandemic. I mean, people wearing their, not wearing their mask. I try to understand them because it's like, wow, you really believe that? You really believe that a mask is a violation of your rights? But we have to analyze where is it really coming from, right? Like, Right. Whether it's the administration or whether it's the rhetoric that we've been having with against the WHO, whatever it may be, there's a reason. So, and that comes a lot with people not always watching the the one news, right? The one cycle, yeah. the one, the one source, and not verifying their things because a lot of times people will see something, agree with it, and just run with it. And, yeah, and um, you mentioned Facebook and like los grupos del WhatsApp que te manda tu tía y ese tipo de cosas. Y este, es de que si hay como un efecto de eco, you know, there's the echo, cham- echo chamber effect where you're more likely to share, um, you know, content and news that aligns with your politics and the politics of those around you. And, you know, like then they spread it because they agree with it. Even without reading the article, like they'll see the headline, they'll, they'll be like, see, I told you so. And then and they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll tweet it and tweet it. They'll tweet it and share it. Y lo mandan por, por Messenger y por WhatsApp. Yeah. Y este, pues, queda bien propagada la, la, la información este, incorrecta. So, it's, um, you know, you kind of have to, like, like, and, you know, like, some of these websites that they're sharing from are blogs. Yeah, right? opinion pieces. Because, um, I've had, I've had this conversation with my parents where, you know, like, they'll show me, like, a blog, and it's like, well, I mean, this isn't, like, a website. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what I mean? Like, this isn't like a reputable, informative website. This is some like, sketchy, this is some sketchy blog with, you know, questionable news and those, like, advertisements that say, you know, like, <laughs> find people near you and shit. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. these, these aren't reputable advertisers on a reputable website with reputable content. Like, this is some, like, it's pura mentira. Yeah. And, is the I, th- I think um i've had to have this, co- this conversation with like my with my mom and my dad where it's like you know like you really have to consider where these news are coming from 
Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of these uh, websites don't have any any names on on a byline. You know, like if you like look like for an about section, there's no about section. Uh, you know, if you look at their advertisers, <laughs> they're not real advertisers. They're those kind of like filler. You know, find whatever near you. Yeah. And you know, like there's there's some signs that you can easily point to. You know, if like if if all the if all the headlines are kind of sensational. You know, if 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 the if, if the politics of this website are clearly you know in one direction or the other, you know, like you 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 can kind of it doesn't take too too much to like really you know weed these out. Sometimes it's just clicking on the article. Like, yeah. have you seen those trolls <laughs> where you'll click it and someone's rickrolling? But but it gets shared, you know, thousands of times, and then yeah. people are like, dude, what are you guys sharing? Like. And again, I understand that internet's a new thing for a lot of the older generations. And yeah. it's funny because you grow up, <laughs> there's a meme about it, but it's like you grow up and when your parents tell you like, don't believe everything you see on the internet. And then <laughs> you grow up and you tell like, mom, all right, did you, where'd you get that? Did you get that from Facebook? <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like it really takes a little bit more, just a, a little bit more before we share. I, that's what I try to tell my family mm-hmm. members. Like if you really agree with it, either look it up on Google like look up what the topic is and try to see if it, a lot of people are talking about it or just click on it. And yeah, just do a little, little bit of research. Cause then, cause then you look silly if someone else does it and then comes out, you know? So if not for, for the, uh, to preserve information, at least do it for the, for selfish reasons and try, try to look as reputable as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, again, like you just kind of have to do the, like a little bit of legwork and really figuring out like, in like showing your parents like you know what's you know what's real what's not it's not difficult once you like teach them to um recognize the patterns yeah because all these websites operate on like the same kind of like base you know they all they all kind of look the same they all kind of have the same headlines you know like there's no like authors you can point to who wrote this thing it's just Yeah. yeah and sometimes even um even bigger publishers. I mean, everybody has an agenda. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. It's all based off of advertising, right? So let's say if Nike has a sponsorship with uh, or an ad campaign with Kaepernick, they're probably going to push towards things that lean a little more to the left. So you have to know that we have to, again, that echo chamber or that bubble that everybody seems to live in, we all have to step away from it a little bit and say, all right, maybe I'll take, the, <laughs> I'll take a view of this from a different point of view before I get mad. Because maybe there's something I'm not seeing or you'll see the other point of view and you're like, fuck it. I knew I was right. And then, you know, at least you're at least you're trying to do a little bit of detective work. But uh, yeah, I feel like that's definitely super important. I, I was seeing also uh, some of your photography. Great photography, by the way. I feel like it's super interesting because it's it's a good combination between community and culture and struggle. Right. It's not always happy days, but it's reality. And I feel like that's important. That goes on par with uh that paying attention to our backyard because it's good to celebrate the good things, but it's also good to notice because a lot of times um, in Latino uh, or Latino culture will sort of turn a blind eye to things that aren't too pretty or things that are going on in a backyard. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about your photography? There's like no secret to it. I I just carry my camera around (laughs) and um, like um, again, um, like I I started shooting because at La Prensa, they would give me uh, 25 bucks for each photo I turned in. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I thought, all right, you know, if each article I do has a photo, this camera pays for itself, right? right? right. Yeah. So <laughs> the camera did pay for itself, but um, I just kind of started carrying it everywhere. Started taking photos of like, you know, my friends, my family, my dog. You know, if we were if we were you know playing soccer at the park, or we were like, like I would get like photos of like my brother jumping the fence and looking you know hella g carrying like a ball and it's <laughs> over his shoulder yeah <laughs> it's the and it just kind of turned into like a you know like, like let me carry this thing around you know not just for you know news or but just you know to capture you know like whatever i see yeah and um i, I had a conversation with a friend about like the whole because he called because uh, he does like a lot of portrait work and we just kind of like bouncing ideas off of each other mm-hmm. and i told him you know, like i want to do some portrait work and he's like i mean and he's like and he told me he said to like document stuff and i'm like what, what do you mean document stuff <laughs> he's like oh well, i mean you're just documenting stuff i'm like i'm just shooting photos dude <laughs> um right. but um but all in all um 
I really, I don't know, like there's there's some something interesting going on all around us. And um, a lot of times we just don't see it. So, you know, if something is off, you know, like I'll see, like I'll just like take a photo of it. It can be something that's like mundane. It's like a car I've never seen parked across the street. Or, you know, if I'm out at the, so I live in Chula Vista and, you know, like sometimes we'll go hang out um, or smoke or whatever at the, at the marina, you know, you know, that parking strip at the marina. I know, I know the marina. Don't worry. (laughs) Everyone goes there to smoke anyway. Yeah. We know the marina. Uh, And if there's like a, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes you see some nature out there. Sometimes you see some, some interesting stuff on that corner of the bay. Right. You know, like there's lots of. So, you know, like, I'll just, like, shoot a photo of that, you know, and whether it's, like, unusual or quirky or just something that, like, catches my eye, you know, like, I'll just kind of take a photo of that. And um, lately with the uh, protests uh, in memory of George Floyd and, you know, calling for police accountability, uh, you know, like, I I think that's more documentation. I mean, that's just, like, my take on it because... um, a lot is being said about these movements and, you know, like they're generally very Pacific, you know, like it, they're generally very diverse. And, you know, like, I, I feel like, you know, that's kind of, that was one of my goals in going to some of these protests, you know, to uh, display that they are peaceful, that they are diverse, that there's no violence, you know, being instigated by the uh, participants. Right. Um, these photos uh well i mean the the big march on june 4th that was on assignment mm-hmm. um that was on assignment but the other protests that i went to like i went out of my own volition just to like check it out and really yeah. see things for myself because i'm kind of a see, see it for myself kind of a person uh but honestly there's like nothing deep to the <laughs> photography i just carry it on me <laughs> Well, I feel like photography, much like writing, it's it's so personal, right? And it's also yeah. very easily skewed because it only takes a couple of words or a certain angle to tell exactly what it is that you want to tell about. I mean, those, um, like you mentioned, the protests have been drawn in a light that are sometimes so so contrary to what they really are, but you won't know what they really are unless you're there. So for people that are at home, and which I completely understand given the pandemic and everything, when certain camera angles are pointing only at the fires and the writers, you know, this is why uh, news sources or uh, checking your sources is so important because sometimes when people are just focusing on the bad, it could be, it could be bad. It could be bad for the movement. It could be bad for, for the type of people that are doing it in general. But that's why I feel like photography can be so personal. Again, you're, you're there for, I mean, to document, but also to experience. And that's what I feel like people don't seem to understand. I mean, we all have a camera on our phone. A lot of times our phones have better camera than, you know, journalists had a couple of years ago. So yeah. with that, a lot of people take too many photos. I was having this conversation with my parents the other day. I was like, what am I going to show my kids? Like I take too many photos and I won't know what to keep and when to raise because we're just inundated with, with information. So it's good to sort of take a step back sometimes and say, this is important, you know, as opposed to just, doing a boomerang of a protest or you're doing a quick video, you know, taking your time. And again, the camera, it's a lot of work, but taking your time, you know, checking out the ISO, checking out the whatever it is and taking it, documenting it, maybe having it, sharing a little story with it. I think that's important and a lot goes a long way. But again, I feel like it's also, it could be easily skewed. And a lot of times uh, it depends on who's taking it. So, but that's great. I mean, uh, now that you mentioned that, you know, it depends on who's taking it, you know, like the reason I take the photos I take is because I find them interesting mm-hmm. or there's something like that needs to be spoken about. Mm-hmm. Like in some of the protest photography, you know, like it's just people there, you know, they're, they're there, they're voicing their concerns and, you know, like that's what they reflect, um, you know, the signs, the carry, you know, these, the message is straightforward, you know, like police reform, uh, uh, you know, like find Breonna Taylor's uh, you know, killers. Well, I believe they found them, but they haven't been charged. I yeah. mean, either way, I mean, either way, you know, like their calls for justice, uh, their calls for unity. And um, I was telling my brother that I feel like lately, like all the photos I take are people with signs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I, I know what you signs. mean. People with signs is like a genre of photography. Yeah. No, I can moment. imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's but, everywhere. Yeah, you check the hashtag or you'll just go on any kind of um, news article, uh, Instagram. And that's, I mean, that's all you see, it seems like. 
Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's all it's it's like you said, it's it's a it's personal. You know, the reason I choose to, you know, whether it's you know recent protests or you know just like more mundane stuff. You know, it's it, you know it's something that I want to like maybe maybe if not share, go back and look at, mm-hmm. and you know, because like I have like. I have, I have like a bunch of prints that, you know, like I hand out to like my friends or like I keep for myself. Right. Um, and you know, like the stuff that goes on, like on social media, I feel like that's the stuff that's like important. You know, there's like a little bit of like, like commentary or, you know, something relevant. Like, um, like I posted a picture from last year when I went to the fair yeah. and it's like some, like, th- and it's like three people just like looking bored. <laughs> and I'm, and like, I think I captioned it like, Oh, did you go to the fair this year? Haha. <laughs> like don't, yeah don't get don't get your house because i mean we're in a pandemic and people were talking about yeah i know yeah i miss the fair and i miss the beach and it's like there's bigger problems yeah (laughs) the world is at stake here guys yeah well you know it's it's funny because um that's another interesting point of view because a lot of people especially you'll see it on twitter and i don't know if sometimes maybe it's just joking or whatever it may be but i mean people are annoyed which i completely understand we're all over it you know yeah if we're looking at the smaller picture, we're definitely over but looking at the bigger picture. It's like, okay, we're bored, but it's still an issue. Like just because you're bored doesn't mean it's over, you know? And, yeah. and again, it goes with um, information because there's the, <laughs> um, there's these, uh, there's the people that agree that this is an issue and want to stay at home and try to stay safe as much as possible. They're the people that completely disagree and think this is made up because of 5g or something. And then there's the people in the middle that just kind of don't care, you know? Maybe they'll stay at home because their parents tell them to, and maybe they'll go out and have a party or maybe they'll go to PB. And it's like, guys, at that point, it's even hard to have the conversation because it's like, yeah, I mean, what do I even tell you? You know, like it, and which is why I feel like uh, I know that they're, they're doing a second wave of closing. And I think that we kind of earned it. I mean, we didn't know how to stay put and we had it coming. Unfortunately, we haven't even left the first pandemic wave. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot of talk about that you know like yeah. we're i mean the, the whole concept of a wave is that you know you have a peak and then you have like a, another a baseline which is reached and then you, there's nothing and then there's a rise there's yeah. a peak like sube y baja pero nunca terminó de bajar nunca bajó i know it's 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 rough and again i, I think it comes with information and when things are placed bigger picture, you know, mucha gente a lo mejor dice, bueno, like, eso no me, we're not Florida, you know, we're not yeah. Texas, like, we'll be fine, oh, we're fine, like, the people around me are clean, they, I know them, I've known them my whole life, they're clean, I know they're clean, and it's like, that's not how, you know, that's not how COVID works, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. and then you'll hear stories of people that are young getting it, you know, and uh, whether they're surviving it or not, I, people, I feel like, again, people are just like, well, it won't happen to me. And I feel like that's a pretty shitty mentality to have, not just for you, but for the people around you. You know, a lot of, we're, we're Latinos. So we, a lot of people live in like multi-generational homes. You yeah. Know? So we're running the risk of getting someone in our family um, sick. And it's just, it's bad. I hope that, I hope we make a change, but I mean, I don't know. It's been three months. <laughs> Bro, like not only do we live in multi-generational homes, like we're the ones doing a lot of this essential labor. Yeah, exactly. So we're at risk. Like, um, I, I believe the first evidenced study of, um, like I read it on their journal page, mm-hmm. but um, fuck, I, I, I'm blanking out here, but they first saw that um, landscape workers were coming down with COVID a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, guess who makes up the majority of landscaping yeah. throughout the United States? Yeah. And then they found con- some cases in construction, and then you know, restaurants were becoming a hot spot. And if you go to the back of the house, like yeah. toda la raza it's like está cocinando. You know, it could be Japanese food, French food, Italian food. It's always made by Mexicans. It's always made by Mexicans, bro. Like, yeah. like yeah. there's no like, we, like the the danger is compounded for us. And then you know, we have we're greater rates of like people who aren't insured like yeah. like just like i'm gonna stop there because it kind of 
It's like you get the idea. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. And and again, it, it leads to the fact that a lot of um a lot of people in our community say, Well, I can't afford not to go. Because that's that's one thing yeah. people say was like, Well, why don't you stay home? It's like I can't afford to. You know, I mean the the amount of people that are gonna be displaced. Uh, I was reading a uh, an article about this, I think it was the New York Times, they were saying the amount of people that are going to be displaced after this pandemic or mid-pandemic because they won't be able to pay their their bills or their um, or their mortgage or their rent or whatever it may be, it's like astronomical. It's going to be comparable to like uh, the Great Depression and things like that. And a lot of times people say, well, like, that's why we can't stay home. You know, we can't, whether we're leading that way or we're maybe already there, I need to sort of figure it out. And I mean, there's one thing about our community that it's really hard working. So we're not going to go down without a fight, but then that leads to bigger issues. Like the fact that black and Brown are the most disproportionate when it comes to COVID. And again, the, the lack of healthcare or sometimes even information, it's rough, man. It's rough. And yeah. I, I hope there is a switch. I hope that there is some kind of vaccine soon or something because it's um, it is a bigger deal. I feel like the people are making it out to be, and again, it comes with uh, information, you know, I mean, is because now when Vision has stopped talking about pandemics, you know, the Azteca doesn't mention it anymore. So it's like people think it's over, you know, <laughs> people yeah. think your Facebook went, went back to normal. So people think like, oh, we're, we're done. We won. So it's like, ah, yeah. not, not really. No, not at all. I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to talk about this because I feel like I, I always felt that I can do this, but reading your article is super important. Tell me about Carasal Fries. Is it or is it not from San Diego? Because it's from San Diego. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, no, like, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we always knew that it was from San Diego, and sometimes you'll see it in LA, and sometimes even over the border, they like have tried it. But I've yeah. never had better Carasal Fries than the ones I've had here. Yeah, I mean, it's something in the oil or some shit, but like they just hit <laughs> different here in San Diego. But it really does. Um, there's a couple of taco shops that claim to have invented it, like Castañedas. Mm. Like they have a couple locations. There's one near my house here in Chula Vista, and they have like another one in Claremont. You know, like Lolitas has like the documented claim where like yeah, one of their, heard about that. Yeah, one of their tortilla vendors was like, "Why don't you just dump the California burrito on a plate, yeah, and just serve it as a dish?" And um, I think, I think that was first documented in the 90s and then Gustavo Arellano kind of uh, who's a uh, food writer Mexican culture writer he included it in his uh, book uh, Taco I think it's called Taco USA and um, but I mean like word of mouth you know like like it, like if you hit up taco shops and you have these conversations like hey what do you get you know like oh did you know that this is from here like it's just kind of like yeah. in the streets knowledge that, that you know this is san diego yeah you know like the california burrito is from san diego yeah but one thing so i i don't know i don't know if you saw this but before i wrote the article uh on it, on the origin of carnasada fries i put out like a like a like a story on instagram like hey you know anyone want to talk about carnasada fries yeah and, you know, like some people, you know, hit me, hit me up and they were like, yeah, what do you want to know? And it's like, oh, well, I mean, where are they from? And, you know, like the seven people that hit me up, like six of them said San Diego. Yeah. And, and the other person who's my cousin, he was like, yeah, when do you want to talk? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I mean, like, like, like out here, we know that, that it's a San Diego thing. And um, for context, in case of, you know, the you know, your listeners didn't get to hear this. Uh, the New York Times made this um, feature. It was kind of like a feature and a recipe about carne asada fries. Yeah. And they framed it through like this lens of like, oh, you know, when you hit up this like hipster bar in Denver, Jesus. like the first thing like that will catch your eye is like carne asada fries. Even the name. They and, even know, something yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, you know, I think that ran on a Sunday and on Monday, you know, like, San Diego Twitter just went in, you know, like I, I, you know, like I even got one in, you know, like their recipe says it takes 45 minutes to prepare. And I'm like, 45 minutes. Like I laugh in San Diego. Yeah. seriously. And um, so that's the context. Um, and uh, I've contributed uh, film reviews, you know, TV and film reviews for uh, Remezcla. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for someone to do a piece on carne asada fries and, you know, like naturally being from San Diego. 
<laughs> uh, you know, like I'm like, hey, you know, like I'm I'm available for this. Um, and it was just kind of like an opinion, kind of like 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 not opinion. It was more like a personal essay, but you right. know, make it informative. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I point out that like you know, it's a San Diego dish. You know, framing it like this, a racist. It's like Mexican American, uh, Chicano. You know, importance. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a uh, like it like you know everything is a little more democratic in the taco shops that were in neighborhoods that got gentrified are still there so you know like now everyone knows it's not just like a barrio or like a us thing you know like everyone knows you know these items by now but uh, i point out that um you know like framing it that way erased its mexican-american origins it erased you know I, i used the lolita's origin story uh, as you know, the um, as its you know origin, even though when you really deconstruct it, you know, a, a, a California burrito without a wrap, the tortilla wrapper yeah. is carne asada fries, and the yeah. California yeah. burrito predates in writing the uh, carne asada fries. And you know, like you know, it's it's just kind of like not responsible to take <laughs> away such a beloved dish, you know, take it somewhere else, make it a white hipster bar staple. Well, just gentrifying. I mean, they're gentrifying the idea. You're gentrifying it. You're whitewashing it. And um, not only that, but, you know, like Colorado has its own brand of Mexican food. Well, not brand. It has its own style of Mexican food where, like, you know, just like New Mexico has its, like, hatch chili on everything. Or Tex-Mex. Or Tex-Mex. Yeah, you know, like, you know, they, not only did they do San Diego dirty with, you know, by whitewashing one of our dishes, they did Denver dirty by not pointing out something that's you know denver mexican right yeah no they took san diego and put it out there like yeah i feel like that's why and like these fights are important because representation is so important i mean you said it yourself it's such a staple mexican-american thing because it's not mexican it really isn't you know what i mean and but it also is an american like it's just it is essential to southern california even and even that sounds a little silly because it is just San Diego. I've had kind of stuff fries in LA and I'm like, nope, I'm sorry. And, or even California burritos. And I'm just like, no, man, you guys just don't have, I don't know what it is. You guys just don't have it down. So yeah, it's unfortunate that stories like this run because a lot of people will run with the idea that it's from Denver, you know, but yeah. And uh, just a quick tip. Um, the only spot out of San Diego that I found uh, good carne asada fries and Kelly burritos is Kelly tacos in Santa Ana. Because uh, they're owned by the Saritas taco shop people. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. So um, that's the plug when you're out of town. But it's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of times, even here in San Diego, I don't go to one taco shop for one thing. You know what I mean? Nah. <laughs> it's like, well, the fact that I mean, I have my mom that she'll cook mostly everything Mexican. But when I want a specific thing, I go to a certain taco shop. And I feel like a lot of us have a, uh, whether it be a roll taco spot, an horchata spot, a, a California yeah, burrito, absolutely. breakfast burrito. So even that is so part of San Diego because we're picky, man. Like we, we, we'll eat anything, but it was, we're also picky with what exactly it is that we're eating. So. Yeah. And um, just to kind of backtrack a little, when you said that it's not really Mexican or not really American, like it's like Spanglish, you know, like like yeah. Spanglish, like yeah, yeah. like you know, it's like like habla bien cabrón or what I'm talking about. But I mean, it's like Spanglish, bro. Like you know, you're taking the component of one of one cuisine that's popular, and then you're mis- mixing it with something that's like really prevalent in northern Mexico, like carne asada, and like bam, yeah. you know, like this is this is the regional take on meat and potatoes because like they have meat and potatoes all over the world. Right. Yeah. But that's like, ours. You know, I remember. Um, I hosted a couple of uh, French travelers a while, like a while ago, and I showed them carne asada fries, and they were like, "Oh, this is like poutine." Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, without the gravy. And, um, <laughs> and one of them had already traveled through Mexico, and they were like, "Oh, you know, like this reminds me of picadillo because it also has the sour cream." Yeah. And the, the pico de gallo. and the pico de gallo. So, yeah. huh, that's. Funny. I mean, same, same, the different shades of the same, you know, two, two ingredients. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. But again, it's it's like it's Spanglish. I mean, the thing is that like I feel like in mainstream media, Chicano culture has become so popular. You know what I mean? It's whether it's the lowriders, whether it's the outfits, whether it's the music, it's become so. I mean, mainstream really. It's what it yeah. is. And I mean, I was reading. Um, oh, sorry, I was watching this video. I think it was by Vox that there's a Chicano culture in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. I mean, things like these are gonna keep happening because. 
again, everybody likes it. Everybody's buying into it. I mean, with things like Coco, I'm sure Candy School's tattoos went up by like a thousand. <laughs> so, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it used to be Japanese lettering or Chinese lettering. Now we're having all these schools and, and people, it's losing its meaning for other people. But I feel like as long as we are stronghold and know that it's from here and keep saying and fighting for it, I think we'll be fine. You know, I, I'm glad people are enjoying our culture, but it's a difference between enjoying it and trying to fucking take it over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, when you mentioned Coco, like, you know, like Disney wanted to trademark like the words Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. But you know, like they, they, they saw the backlash and, you know, like Disney, you know, like they have like a lot of problems as an organization. Cool, yeah, culturally, yeah. But I mean, they, they they really did the Coco script right by you know bringing bringing someone like uh, Lalo Alcaraz to like be the cultural consultant by bringing like all this like Latinx um, talent to voice characters and you know even like comment on things throughout the script. Yeah, well, the the mu the soundtrack is done by the Symphonic Harmonic, uh, the La Ciudad de Mexico. So the whole music yeah. is recorded in La Ciudad de Mexico, which I think is amazing because I mean you're getting not just uh, you're supporting like uh, Mexican talent, right? For a Mexican movie, which I think is, I think was their idea. And I don't know if it was out of fear or out of authenticity, <laughs> but I'm glad they did it because it goes a long way. I mean, you have Gal Garcia doing both English and Spanish, even with his like broken-ish kind of, is it Gal Garcia or is it Diego Luna? I forget. I forget. Uh, yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, right, uh, Hector? So, like, I, love I love the fact that they're doing, letting them do both languages. You know what I mean? despite how it may sound. I mean, I think it sounds great, but still, it's important. But yeah, I feel like, again, it goes back to having that representation. And and I'm glad that it's, if it, even if it is out of fear, I'm glad people are finally acknowledging that there is going to be some backlash, you know? Yeah. I mean, things should be, uh, and you see it a lot with movies where they say, you know, like, uh, characters of color should go to people of color. Um, it was happening a lot with, like, voice actors as well. And to a certain degree, I I definitely think that a lot of things should be that way just because, you know, if you're going to tell certain stories, they should be told right. I mean, I'm sure I've seen, I can't imagine how many like uh, Japanese movies I've seen that are done here in the U S that I'm like, uh, is it real? Like, is it really, is that really how it is? Or are we just leaning on a stereotype, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mario, thank you so much for doing this. It's been nice talking to you and uh, where can we find you? Where can we look you up? So uh, you can find me on Instagram and uh, Twitter at macortez619. Uh, chances are, if you see someone carrying like a camera bag, it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tall too, so <laughs> right, great. we won't have an issue finding you then. All right, Mario, thank you so much for cool. doing this. And thanks. Hey, for no problem. Hey, man, keep writing. Uh, I love reading your articles. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Have a good hey one, man, I really appreciate it. It's the, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, bro.